so again, if you are new to Element, welcome. Uh, there are Bibles and seatbacks in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are normally sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. Uh, right now, we're doing this series. It actually ends next week, and you can grab one of these booklets. It's called Didn't See That Coming. On the inside, you'll get short, short daily devotions to get you in the habit of doing them. You'll get some gospel community questions, some family questions, and a gospel statement that we'll talk about at the end of this message, all in an effort to go a little bit deeper into what we're talking about today. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Click on More and then Events in Uversion. It will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get the verses we go through today. You'll get the announcements. You won't get full sermon notes because those are in the booklets, but you will get the gospel statement. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Uh, this is John chapter 1, verse 1. And it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we, look, we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who trust you for your goodness and your grace. That we would understand that our hearts and our lives have been touched upon by you and your goodness. And that you would then lead us into an understanding that is a fuller understanding of your gospel. So we would live it out, not just in our own lives, but in the lives of those around us. That it would be good news for everybody because we ourselves have experienced the good news. Amen. Have a seat. So we had, Jeff, two weeks left of this series uh, on the gospel of Jesus Christ left, and so we've been trying to get into your minds the idea of what that means and how we understand it, then how we live that out. Hence, the title of today's message is Mission as Witness, and you may not really understand that by the end of this message, but hopefully I'll bring it back to that and you'll understand why I'm calling it that. Uh, simply speaking, the gospel is the good news of what God did to rescue and save us. You see this all throughout the Old Testament scriptures and comes to the culmination in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ to rescue and save us. It's important for us, I think, to do this series, especially with the amount of weeks we're taking and the booklets and all this effort and energy we put into it, because if you go online or to a bookstore, I guess if there's even one in Santa Maria anymore, go to San Luis where you can find one, uh, but there, there are thousands of books out today that try to reconstruct Jesus. We are always trying to make Jesus out less than or different than he showed himself to be. We always try and take the gospel and make it about us and not about him and what he did to rescue and save us. We're a people who perennially we just run away from God. We always today even think that God should change to get along with what we want to do. People say things like this, Christianity needs to change to get with the times. And whatever the current flavor of the day is, we want God to say, yeah, that's great. We think God's saying to us, I love you, is God saying do whatever you want to do and, and that's okay. Guys, Christianity does need to be spoken into our culture in a way that makes sense, where we use the correct words. Uh, I mean, I, I don't dress like a first century person. Like, I wear blue jeans and sneakers, and I got this shirt that looks like I stole it off a picnic table, you know, right? Uh, and, and so, and, but I, I'm not wearing sandals and a robe or, or something like that. I, I love and eat bacon. Yeah, yeah. Most people in the early church would not even touch bacon. But the gospel is the good news of what God did to reach into our brokenness, to rescue and save us. It's about who he is and what he has done. And we speak about that in a way that makes sense. And today there's this whole push to try and imagine what, reimagine what the gospel is supposed to be and what Jesus came to do. Every few years you see books that come out and they will say, well, there was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as those gospels, but there were other gospel accounts written as well. 
And actually, there were, and there are. But they were rejected by the early church, not because of conspiracy, like Dan Brown liked to say in the Da Vinci Code. They were rejected because they were written hundreds of years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and they weren't true to what the gospel accounts actually were. Like there's a thing called the Gospel of Thomas. At the end of the Gospel of Thomas, it says how God is going to save women is by turning them into men. I'm not joking. I mean, I'm like, dear God, please, no, don't let that happen because I love my wife and she's much prettier than me and softer than I am. So I, I like that. Please, please leave it that way. But there are things like the gospel of Peter, the gospel of Mary, the gospel of Thomas. There's the apocalypse or the revelation of Peter. And all these things do not follow standard accounts because, again, they're written hundreds of years later. And they take names of the disciples and apostles and slap them on them to try and get people to accept them. And if you have to lie about who you are right in the book to get people to read it, well, it probably shouldn't be in the Bible. If the first thing is a lie off the bat, let's not put that in the scriptures. And so you have all these other books. And last week when we talked about the resurrection, I showed you how it's this, it was a normal thing. It, I mean, it, it, resurrection is always a very powerful and amazing thing, but how Jesus goes about it and proclaims it. He steps into people's normal, average, everyday lives, exactly where they are. He walks with them along the road. They don't even recognize him because he comes up so ordinary, because he steps into our normal circumstances every day. And so some of these other gospel accounts speak of the resurrection in a totally different way. Like in the in the gospel of Peter, you have these angels and they come down from heaven and the white is so brilliant, light, this, the light is so brilliant white that this whole crowd gathers around and the angels blow the rock off the tomb and they step inside and they carry Jesus outside. And this is what it says. And the heads of the two reached to heaven, but the head of him who was led by them overpassed the heavens. And if I was going to write like a resurrection account and make it up, that's what I would do. I would do the Michael Bay Transformers versions. There'd be explosions, kaboom, there goes the rock off the tomb. And here comes, but here's Jesus and his head, is like a cone head, went, oh, past the heavens. It's amazing. Have you seen the resurrection of Jesus? That's what I would do. But the resurrection accounts in the scripture, they, they're just stepping into normal everyday life. And Jesus does some amazing things. But it's to show that the idea of the gospel and the, full, the fullness of it is meant to be about you and I living normal, average, everyday lives, understanding his salvation, which does make our lives a little bit different, but still in the normal places where we are so we can speak that into everybody's lives around us. These gospel accounts were rejected because they didn't show the real Jesus. They were written later, and they really had nothing to do with the gospel whatsoever. See, what you have to understand is life in the Roman Empire, it was hard. It was difficult. And Jesus, rather than pulling us out of the world, he leaves us in this world to be on mission as his witnesses, to speak about the goodness of what he has done in his death and his resurrection. Why doesn't God do something dramatic like the Gospel of Peter? Because God wants us to be his witnesses in the world and we're to speak of the message of the gospel in real ways. Sometimes people say, I struggle with addiction. Why doesn't God just take that struggle away? Because if God took that struggle away, you would have no way to reach into somebody else's life who's also struggling. Maybe you have a, you have a horrible marriage and you're dealing through all these issues in it. Why doesn't God just make them change? Well, how about you pray that you would change? That might help a little bit too, right? And, but, but why doesn't God just fix it all? Because God, I think, wants us to walk through the hard places where it grows us to be who he calls us to be because then we can step into other people's lives and help them to change also because we are living out the gospel in real and practical ways. This is really important because we ask the question, why is our life so hard? 
It's not that our life is hard. It's that God wants to grow us into holiness, and God loves us. In the New Testament, there's this book called Hebrews. You can open the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, if you want. And what the writer in Hebrews does is it brings all these pieces together. It's this group who's struggling to live out the gospel post-resurrection as these witnesses. We don't know who the author of this book was. I have my own speculations, but we do know who the book was written to. It is written to urban Christians, those who live in cities that are actually, and there's actually more references to cities in the book of Hebrews than any other New Testament book. And these Christians live in a society just like ours. It's very pluralistic. Everybody has their own spirituality. There's different beliefs and religions and philosophies and isms and all of that. And when you trusted Jesus and you followed him, it brought marginalization and hostility. And so that's who this letter is written to, people who were suffering because of their faith in Jesus. And the question really arises, and the book addresses it. If God's committed to his glory and our joy, why sometimes is life so hard? That's what Hebrews is about. And the answer in the book is a nutshell, is that, is that life is a journey. Life is a journey. Christianity is a trip. It's not a destination. We follow God where he calls us to go. And so it's this journey from weariness to rest and from alienation into the presence of God. And it tells us the only way that we ever get home and live in this true rest is the good news of Jesus, fixing our eyes upon him and what he has done. Like when Jesus rises from the grave, all right, it's, it's 40 days he goes out and shows himself. And it's one person, two person, 10 people. At one point it's 500, but it's over 40 days. That's over a month. That's like forever, like an American time frame. It, he doesn't have it through bursts and sprints. It's a sustained, long-term way. Eugene Peterson wrote this book on discipleship called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Excellent book, and it's about the sustained walk with Jesus. So this is how the, the writer of the book of Hebrews starts this. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And there's three things I want to talk about in these verses and kind of where the writer of the book of Hebrews goes because I think it's important for us to understanding what the gospel is because when we understand the gospel, it's going to change everything about our lives. I'm going to give you a lot of theology today, so just kind of, you know, strap on the boots and, and, and let's go. First one is Jesus brought us the fulfillment of the gospel. Through Jesus, God has spoken. The author says this, the exact imprint of his nature. The Greek word for representation is the word most literally translated as character. It's the character. We've been told that God is speaking to us through Jesus, not just to give us information, but to show us who God himself is in his character. God is communicating himself. Didn't see that coming. And here you have a personal God who speaks in words. And words can engage every single part of you, the mind and the heart. And so here's God. He wants a relationship with his people. So God speaks clearly through his son. Jesus gives us this fulfillment of the gospel. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. This word, many ways, is this word called polytropus, and it means like piecemeal ways, like different, different pieces. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So in the past, God speaks through the prophets in this piecemeal kind of way, different, different things. And then the last days, and that would mean from the time the guy wrote to the end of time, from now until the end of time, there's no fuller and no final more expression of God than who Jesus is. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. This is it. It is absolute. The person of Jesus, period. You want to know who God is? You look at Jesus. 
When Tim Keller talks about these words, he says this, there's no intimacy without finality. And the way you would understand that is that it's kind of like a marriage. If you're, if you're married, there's a high probability at some point in your life you actually wanted to be married. I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about when you got married, right? Okay. So unless it was a shotgun wedding or something like that, you, you really, you really want to be married. And so you get married though, and you find out this other person starts to contradict you. And this other person doesn't agree with you and everything, and they cross your will, and they tell you things you don't want to hear, and you don't like it. So what do you do? Well, you realize at some places you can, you know, talk to the person and negotiate certain things, like in my house, the number of cats. I say zero, you know. She says greater than zero, so whatever. What, what shows we're going to sit and watch together and which ones, you know, we, we can watch on our own. But at a certain point, you will realize there are some finalities. There are some things that just aren't going to change. And you have to realize, unless I accept those finalities, I will never have a personal relationship with this person. Because we want intimacy with the person, and a person has a will. And so you have to accept some finalities in that, or else there is no relationship. I mean, it's not like that. There's an old movie called The Stepford Wives. They just turned all their wives into robots. I don't recommend that, okay, because that's not intimacy, this is not Blade Runner 2049. Okay, you, you, can't, you can't do that. Okay, And people say this all the time about God, though. They say, well, I believe in God, and I believe he's a loving God, but I can't accept the idea of a God of justice or judgment. I like some things in the Bible, but don't like other things. If we do not accept what the Bible says about who Jesus is and what God says about who he is, how will God ever contradict us? How? How will God ever cross our will? How does God ever tell us anything we don't want to hear? If we say, oh, I don't believe this or, or I don't like that, we're trying to make God into our robot. And that is not a God. That is making God into our own image, not us being in the image of God. If God cannot cross your will, if God has to agree with you, and whatever our modern American mindset says, we don't know the real God. Because the real God will offend us. The, will, the real God does cross us. The real God tells us where we are wrong. And the real God will tell us we're going to destroy our lives by not listening and following what he's saying to us. God wants to grow us. And sometimes it's hard because he does contradict us and lead us in ways that we don't understand. And yet we must be a people who trust him because Jesus is the fulfillment of the gospel. He is the final word. So we trust where he leads us. I guess I got to tell you, there are many things in my life where God's like, I don't like that. Don't do that. And his spirit convicts me. And I'm like, no, no, I need to do it anyway. And God's like, you're going to destroy your life. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And then I go over a cliff and it's all big mess. And God's like, love you. Come on back in. I love you. you know, Because he's like, I told you, don't do that thing. And I, and I, guys, we don't, God doesn't adjust to us. We adjust to him. And unless we accept there are some hard edges of God's will, of what God's word actually is, unless we accept the things that God actually says, sometimes that we don't like them, If we don't accept that, we'll never have a personal, intimate relationship with him. Jesus is the fulfillment of the gospel. It's why we trust him. We believe and accept it. And then, when we understand that, we understand Jesus is the final word on the gospel. He's the fulfillment and the final word of all that it is. And again, Hebrews 1.3, this is what commentators like to call nosebleed Christology. Okay, That means it's a very high and lofty view of who Jesus is. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
In the Old Testament, when you first see the story of redemption, it's Moses going and leading these people out of slavery and bondage in Egypt and bringing them out. When this happens, when they get outside of Egypt, a fiery cloud comes down by day and a pillar of fire by night. Jewish tradition holds that it'll look very much like a human figure. And at nighttime, again, it's this pillar of fire. In the daytime, it's brighter, so it looks like a fiery cloud. At one point, the Egyptians are chasing down the Israelites, and God, as this fiery cloud, steps in between them and stops them. This cloud will lead them to a place called Mount Sinai and will come down on this mountain. There's thunder and lightning. No one can even touch the mountain at that point or they will die. Years later, when the first temple, it is dedicated. What happens is God's glory in the form of this fiery cloud comes in and it fills the temple. And anybody who's near it gets knocked over and gets knocked back. They fall to the ground because the cloud is the glory of God. It's in a form they can see. It expresses his brilliance and his beauty and his infiniteness. And yet, in Hebrews chapter 1, you're being told that the ultimate way in which God expresses himself, in which he appears, is Jesus. Jesus is God in human form, but it's still the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, the ultimate form in which God appears. There has been nothing greater than the appearance of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 14 through 18, talking about understanding the the people looking at the Old Testament and not believing in Jesus, he says, but their minds were hardened for this day when they read the Old Covenant, that's the law, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. They're looking at the piecemeal not the fulfillment. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the, with the, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This, let, me, let me try and explain this. Have you ever uh, met or been with somebody who is so far beyond you in something? Like, I play guitar. Uh, every once in a while, I will sit down with somebody who plays guitar so much better than me. As uh, a guy who owns a guitar shop in Rio Grande called Lightning Joe. Lightning Joe is a great guitar player, and I'll, he knows me. And I'll we'll talk sometimes, and I'll be here, play this, and I'll be like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, because he. And I feel awkward playing it because he's so good. Maybe you go out to dinner with someone who is like has like all the etiquette, right? And they know what to do with all the silverware that sits in front of you. You're like, I got a fork, you know. It's, <laughs> Maybe like, and you're like, I don't know, or maybe you got like 50 bucks in the bank and you sit down with a, someone who's a multimillionaire and talk about money and stuff because they're so far beyond you. Um, I, I have some friends in my life who are always kind and generous and they never say a disparaging word about anybody. And when I'm around them, it makes me want to be better. It makes me not want to be like I am most of the time in my life. And Paul is saying, when we understand the glory of God and the veil is taken away, we should be so humbled that we begin to change because we trust who God is and what he is doing. The glory of God is like that, but so much more. It's like you can't gaze into the sun without it burning your retinas off. How do we get to look at this fiery pillar that knocked people to the ground and people died when they touched the mountain? How do we? Jesus. That's how we get to understand it and live in it. Jesus comes in a way we can have a personal relationship with God. He can come into our life, and he's the one who began to change us into his likeness because we understand that he is the final word of the good news of the gospel. That's how he's the final word of the gospel. The reason Jesus can bring ultimate truth is he is the God of truth. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
there is a personal and a global implication of what this means. For personal implications, again, the book of Hebrews is written to people just like us. Pluralistic society, everybody has their own spirituality, all the religions and different gods. And to say that Jesus is unique, that he is superior, the ultimate expression of God sounded very exclusive and difficult for people in that day to hear. So what does the Hebrew writer say to the people who are struggling with that? He says, don't back off. Lean into that. Lean into it. Trust him enough to be able to speak about that. The verse is saying you can't put Jesus on a shelf in any way with these other prophets or wise men or sages or religious leaders. Because if you read any prophet, they're always saying, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord. Jesus comes and what does Jesus say? You've heard that it was said, but I tell you this. In Matthew 23, 34, Jesus says, I keep sending you prophets and wise men and you keep trying to kill them. If you look through the Old Testament, who sends the prophets and wise men? God. And Jesus says, I keep sending these people to you. N.T. Wright puts it like this. He says, how can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that fire has become flesh, that life itself came to life and walked into our midst? Christianity, Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It's either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world or it's a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play acting. Most of us, unable to cope with saying either of those things, condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world world in between what he's saying is is most people won't lean into the point where they trust who jesus revealed himself to be and they also won't say he's nothing and so they live in this shallow place right in between but when you understand the fullness of the gospel the final word in the gospel we realize we don't have any place to stand in between jesus calls us to look at him and acknowledge who he is or deny him And we should be a people who acknowledge who he is because that's what will change us. There is no position that has any integrity that does not do one of those two things. We cannot be in the middle about it. He is not our assistant. He is God Almighty. That's who he is. Now, Keller once said what changed his view about all of this is he once heard this woman talking about this, and she said, if the distance between the earth and the sun is 93 million miles, and that is represented by something the thickness of a piece of paper, And then what you have is the distance between the earth and the nearest star will be something that's about 70 70 feet high, a stack of papers. That's what that distance would be. But the distance across the galaxy, like the diameter of our galaxy, she said it would be uh, be about 310 miles. So she said if our galaxy is just one little speck of dust in the universe, and if there's a person who holds all that together with the word of his power, like like his pinky, as it were, is this the kind of person you ask to enter your life to be your personal assistant? No, no, God is not our co-pilot. That is not who Jesus is. There is nothing in the middle. Jesus forces us to an extreme, and that extreme is meant to make us extremely loving and extremely generous and extremely humble because of who he is. We are to be extremely devoted and committed to who he is. And there's a global implication of what that looks like then. And this is where it gets dicey in our culture today. Because people in our culture say we are never going to have world peace until everyone admits that all religions are equally valid. That is by no means the way you actually get world peace. The only way that all religions could be equally valid is either God doesn't exist or God is completely schizophrenic. That, that, is, the, that is the only way that happens. See, people will say... That if you say all religions are equally valid, they're never going to come together. But the person that says that is assuming a very particular worldview about God, and they're saying their view is better than everybody else's view. When you say religions have to stop making exclusive claims, that's an exclusive claim. 
And to say that view is better than everybody else's, well, that's offensive to a lot of people in a lot of religions when people say that. See, when we think that we need to say, you know, my religion is the best one and people get really offended by that, well, that's a position of integrity and consistency. And I actually think it's I – have, I have much, much more hope for people who say that than say anything else. When you say all religions are equal, no religion should be superior, you're making your spiritual view of reality superior to everybody else's, and it's hypocrisy. It's, a, it's infuriating to adherence to religions all over the world, and it will never lead to global peace. What we have to understand is who the final word on the gospel is. It is Jesus. This is why when Martin Luther King Jr. goes into the deep south and he confronts racism and injustice on the part of white Christians, he doesn't say you have to weaken and loosen your Christianity. He doesn't say you have to become less Christian. When he goes down, he says you need to understand the gospel. That's you got to lean into it and understand who Jesus is and what he has done because that is going to change us. It's going to lead us to be a people who love and embrace others. And this is how the gospel can change our lives. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. This goes on and on, but I do want to get you guys out of here at some point today. What the writer says is this message announced by Jesus, the, the, the gospel, he says you've got to pay much closer attention. The word attention, it literally means obsession. And when it says much closer attention, it means we need to be fully obsessed by what the gospel is. It's why we have done 16 weeks trying to help us to understand the gospel. And if you understand it, we should be a people who are fully obsessed by it. Jesus' rescue of us. Not us climbing the ladder, not us going on a vision quest. It's Jesus' rescue of us. We, we don't move on and say, oh, well, I've got it. I understand the gospel. That's what Jesus did. And then, and then move on. We must always come back to the gospel. Always back to the gospel. Because if we don't come back to the gospel, he says we will drift. He doesn't say you're going to go worship the devil or Darth Vader or turn to the dark side or something like that. It says you'll drift. Why? Because we start to forget what the gospel is. God's rescue of us. And we forget what the gospel is. We get so easily offended with everybody else around us. Because they're not giving us the, you know, what's due us. You need to respect me and honor me. And then we get so mad. How did it feel when somebody cuts you off in traffic? Like, oh, right? Because it's all about us. We forget what the gospel is. We must always go back to the gospel or we will drift. It talks about this message spoken by angels. That's referring to the Old Testament. The message spoken by angels is this law from Mount Sinai. And it's what it's saying is if, if they didn't follow and, and look at the law of Mount Sinai, it brought devastating consequences into their lives. How much more the complete and full salvation that Jesus has shown to us? Because Jesus is just not another prophet. He's the final word. He has God himself come to us. What we have now is not piecemeal. What we have is a complete salvation. Because Jesus doesn't come and tell us how to find God. Jesus is God who has come to find us. Because we were lost and we were broken. It all centers on him. And this is why when we talk about the good news of the gospel, according to the Bible, that we are saved by grace. 
It is all grace. It is God come to us. We are not saved by what we do, not by obeying the law. We are saved by the fulfillment of the law who is in the person of Jesus and what he did on the cross and the resurrection. That is the final understanding of the gospel. Let me give you your gospel statement for this week. It's shorter. This is it. Uh, the gospel is the good news that Jesus came as God in the flesh to proclaim the final word of grace and truth to all the world. That salvation is found in him and him alone. Now, that's a shorter gospel statement today. So I haven't had you repeat it in the last few weeks, but I think you can this week. I have faith in you. You'll be okay. Ready? Three, two, one. The gospel... Jesus is the final word on the gospel. Because in, in olden days, not, not like when I was born, but like way before that, they used to seal, used to seal an envelope with, with a wax seal. You'd, and the wax seal, actually that comes from the Greek word for character. You'd snap your character into the envelope. And the only way you do this, you have to heat the wax to get it to melt, and then you could put the stamp into it. And if you didn't first soften that wax with heat before you put that seal into it, one of two things would happen. Uh, number one, there would only be a, a, either a superficial impression, so it makes an impression on the surface, but it doesn't actually shape the wax. Uh, it, like when you fall asleep on a pillow and it kind of creases your face and you get up and it's still there for about 15 minutes and kind of goes away. The older you get, the longer that takes to go away, by the way. Um, or what would happen is you would break the wax because it wasn't softened when you, when you stamped it. And so this old preacher, and he once said, if you try to get the glory of God into your life by obeying the law, only two things can happen. Number one, you succeed. And you will get very proud because you'll be a very good person, but it's all superficial. Or the other thing is that it will break you in half because you'll feel like a failure because you never measure up to the law. See, the gospel teaches that something has to change in our hearts. Something has to melt us. What melts us is the good news of what Jesus has done, what he did in the cross and the resurrection. We're supposed to be melted daily by God's good news of what he has done, what he did on the cross to rescue and save us. That is what melts us so that we can have a relationship with God again. As in some ways, God actually did adjust to us so we can have a relationship with us. And what he calls us to is to surrender to him and follow his word and follow his will. He's not asking us anything even close to what he gave up to rescue and save us. This means we need to be a people who learn to obsess on God's grace, to obsess on the love of God. Because when we do that, it will begin to change us on the inside. I mean, when we talk about communion every week, it is this idea of God's rescue of us. When we, when we are people who break that cracker or dip it in the wine or the grape juice, because it's meant to remind us of what God did to rescue and save us. The final word on the gospel is Jesus. There's not more to be done. What we do is we trust what he has done. And when we go back and understand the good news of that, like someone even said to me this morning, they're talking about something, and they said, they said, oh, I know God forgives me. I just can't forgive myself. And I'm thinking, if God forgives you, are you bigger or greater than the final word on the gospel? No, you're not. So we don't get to run around and say, well, I just can't forgive myself. Because if Jesus forgave you, you're forgiven. The final word on the gospel changes everything. And so I would invite you this morning to break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us and dip it in the wine of the grape juice as you remember that he is the final word to go back and understand and think about the gospel and all the implications of the good news of what God has done to rescue us. The band's going to come up.
No, oh, made you just do a 180. Sorry. The band's going to come. And I'm going to take this mic with me, like Steven Tyler. What? And I'm going to invite you guys, if you want to, uh, to take communion. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, maybe you're in a place today where your understanding of the gospel has been very superficial. Or maybe you heard the gospel, uh, the good news of God's rescue of you, and then you just forgot about it, never thought about it again, and you have started to drift in your life. What I would invite you to do is to pray with them and talk to them about what the fullness of the gospel actually brings. Guys, we need to be people who always go back to that understanding. Always. Because when we understand what God did to rescue us, it will change everything else that we do. It will change how we interact with people around us. It will change our relationships, not just with like you and your boss or you and your coworkers or you and your friends, but you and your spouse and you and your children. Because the gospel is the good news of God's rescue of us. It's not about us. It's about what he has done to rescue us. So we have our focus where it's supposed to be. And people love to pray with you about that. There's offering boxes next to every single door. We give because God gave so much to us. We do not pass a plate. Just like prayer and, and just like communion, it's a response. So you actually have to get up and, and do that. Uh, there's food outside. I invite you to grab something to eat. Maybe ask one another some questions about you know the understanding of the gospel and maybe how that has changed how you've interacted with somebody around you. Or maybe if you had a better understanding of the gospel, it might have changed how you interacted with somebody around you in a, in a better way. And then maybe, you know, start to talk to one another and pray for one another that you would come back to that central understanding of who Jesus is as the final word on the gospel. Because our great God has come to rescue us. And our eyes need to be placed upon who he is. Because that is the only way we will ever ever live in true and new and real life. is by God's gracious goodness to us and our eyes where they need to be. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would continue to remind us of your grace. Father, I know in my own life, I am someone who can get so distracted and drift because I don't always remember and think about the good news of what you've done to rescue me. So often in my life, the, the final word on my circumstance tends to be me and not you. And so today... I ask you to work in me and everyone else in this room who I'm pretty sure ends up in the same place. That you would move our hearts and our minds back to understanding the good news of the final word on the gospel is Jesus. And that we would trust you. That we'd understand that when your spirit comes into our lives, it brings us to a place of freedom to live out that grace in new and real ways that we would understand that you have come and you are the one who sets us free. And when you say we are free, we are free indeed. Bring us to be a people who in understanding the fullness of the gospel live out on mission as your witnesses in this world because it changes all that we are. That we wouldn't be a people who begin to drift. We would be a people who always trust you and remember what you have done and walk in your ways because you are good and you are the final word on good news. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.